I'm your host, Rena Friedman Watts, and this is the Better Call Daddy Show. Hey, this is Big Daddy, Wayne Friedman. That's my grandpa. Grandpa, you ready for more daddy drama? My dad is my number one hero and number one fan. And I'm a pretty cool dude. All right, season four, baby, here we go. More stories you're not going to believe. And maybe you will after you listen. Five stars. Five and a half stars, two thumbs up. You are a pretty cool dude. Love you, mommy. Don't stand on the table and damn the public. You'll get some words of wisdom to live by. Here we go again. Better call daddy. You know what your problem is? You like me. Yeah, I do. Each week, I interview a guest, share the stories with my dad, and then he weighs in at the end of every episode with his wisdom and wit. Hey, Grandpa. Everyone from influential players to inspirational fathers, and of course, controversial people. Grandpa, my mommy's calling. Creating that legacy one call at a time. And welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. Stay tuned. Where's the music? Better call daddy because he knows you best. He's bringing the test. He sees possibilities. Better call daddy, he'll be by your side. Better call daddy, you're the apple of his eye. He sees possibilities. Oh, won't you Today's guest, Monroe Martin III, has appeared on Comedy Central, Netflix, NBC, Amazon, MTV, VH1. The list is long. He's giving us a down-to-earth perspective on life. My dad says if he's looking for an adopted dad, he's happy to step in. It's important to love your children unconditionally, and a lot of times foster parents aren't measuring up. We're going to talk about that today. It's not just a job and collecting a paycheck. It's way more. Monroe Martin, welcome to the Better Call Daddy show. Oh my God, you look super serious right now. (laughs) No, it's just that the camera is looking down at me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay, I heard on your podcast, you do like, Martin Monroe, baby. I was like, I need you to do that. Martin Monroe, baby. I heard you say like when you were introducing your guests, like you put a baby on there or something and made it sound like so high energy. Oh, that's probably just for that moment. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not consistent. I'm very consistent with the energy. Sometimes I'm up here, sometimes I'm down here. So it depends on what guest was on. If that guest was, I probably had a really good guest on, right? Where I'm like, what's up, y'all? Yeah. But then what happens when you don't have a good guest on? I'm like, what's up, y'all? Welcome back. We're going to get through this. We're going to figure it out. I feel like I've had good guests on the podcast. What makes a good guest? I don't know. Someone willing to talk, right? That's all you really want. It's just somebody who's willing to just talk. That's it. Do you feel like you're different when the camera's off versus on? Hell yeah, when the camera's off and I'm just chilling. I'm home, I'm probably watching TV, I'm probably working on something. I'm very quiet. And then when the cameras come on, you have to like start talking and keep it moving. What happens when you can tell the crowd is not into your performance? Do you have to change your joke or your routine? I don't know. I feel like now it's a crowd by crowd thing, right? Because there's an infinite amount of possibilities on why they may not be as into it as I want them to be, depending on what it is. Sometimes, you know, you'll like talk to the audience, you'll figure it out. Sometimes it's just down with the ship where you go, look, we just going to fucking burn this whole thing down. We're going down together. We just all going, we're going 
have fun just not having fun. That's good. I mean, maybe if you just tell them like, okay, I guess we're going to have fun not having fun, then they hey, realize well, that they're not giving you the energy that you need. Yeah, pretty much. Well, that's the abusive way to see it, right? <laughs> but I don't know, man. It's just been like in the beginning phases of my career, you fight the bomb. But now that I, I think I've been in it maybe like 15 plus, now you're just like, look, I ain't fighting the bomb. If it's a, if it's a bomb, then it's a bomb. We just all go. Because you look worse trying to fucking trying to get them to be like, come on, let's find something. Because look, here's what happens, right? You search for their approval and then you sometimes accidentally land on the thing that gets them all to laugh. And now you're chasing that. Now you're chasing that shit. And I'm like, I don't got time to be chasing that. Do you feel like <laughs> comedy is a calling for you? What you mean by calling? Like no one's asking me to do it. <laughs> if you, is that what you mean by calling? Like, no one needs me to do it. I just, this is the most enjoyable thing I've ever done in my life. It's taken me to just different parts of the world, provided me with opportunities that I probably wouldn't have got anywhere else. And it allows me to be myself. So I don't know if it's a calling, but it's definitely something that I'm like, yo, I'm, I'm happy to be doing this, man. Like, I wouldn't do anything else. I love I that. I would say that's a calling. When people say calling, they'd be like, it betters the world. I don't know if this better the world. That's why I'm like, calling? Calling? I don't know. <laughs> but it's bettering you. It betters me. It betters me. And hopefully by me bettering me, I better the world. But I don't know if that's in direct correlation to each other. I think you know? it is. I think hey, look, I if like God gave you gifts... And you're using those gifts to make an impact. Hell yeah, that's mm -hmm. a calling. Oh uh, yeah, you heard it first. It's a calling, baby. Yes. Uh, so I want to give the audience just a little bit of context. I went and okay. saw you live at Rudyard's in Houston. I loved your show. I was on date night with my husband. It's something we frequently do. And yeah. you were talking about growing up in foster care. And that really touched mm -hmm. me because I had interviewed Zion Clark, who your story reminded me of. Mm -hmm. And and I wanted to talk a little bit more about foster care because nobody talks about that. Do you feel like you're kind of defined by that? That was the fear in the beginning when I first started talking about it. That was the thing. I'm like, I don't want nobody to do I didn't want to be trapped into being this the foster care comic. But then I kind of got over it because I'm like, well, it, that's just a portion of my life. It's an important part of like what shapes my views and my outlook on life and the way I move and stuff like that. But I don't, it's a part of me, but it doesn't have to be me as a whole. So once I just kind of like got over that where I'm like, well, I got to grow out of it. I'm going to have to like perform and, and do it and talk about it until something else happens, until it no longer resonates. Until I'm like, oh, I don't have to bring up the foster care thing because now I'm a grandfather. Now I'm talking about having grandkids or I'm just a regular father. So I'm talking about being a parent and stuff. So I feel like I'm not afraid anymore. At first, I was like, I'm going to have to always go on stage and be like, oh, the foster kid and this, that, and the third and blah, blah, blah. But now I don't feel like I have to do that. Now I feel like I have a little bit more freedom. And it allows me to say the other things. Like once people hear like, oh, he's a foster care. His mom's on drugs. His dad was in and out of prison and all this stuff. Oh, this is what he went through. Oh, that makes sense on why he thinks this way about that. Oh, okay. So it's small compared to something that is 
is larger than me. Have you ever tried to like cut up bits of your story and like rearrange it? What you mean? Your foster kid story is how you started, but like, have you ever mm -hmm. tried to start at a different part of your story? Like you're saying, you know, once I'm a father, I can talk about that. Once I'm a grandfather, I can talk about that. Like, have you ever tried to talk about chapters out of order? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's how you actually get the set together, right? So not all comics work like this, but me, I work on the chunk. And then in order to see if that chunk works, I have to move it somewhere else in the set. So I, if I'm talking about foster care, I have to see how relatable it is and how strong the material is by moving it somewhere else and then going, all right, now I have to work on this other chunk. And if I put this in front of, if I put being married and stuff in front of growing up in foster care, how can I make the correlation? How can I make people see that and go, oh, oh okay. Oh, that now that's why he thinks this because it's all a one-man show right like when you're up there and you're doing stand-up you're holding their attention for like 45 minutes to an hour and that thing needs to have ups and downs you know yeah speaking of ups and downs yeah. are there parts of your story that you feel are ugly or that have, that you've learned more about yourself from writing yeah but i don't know if it's i'm not afraid to Say that on stage though i don't feel no judgment that's the thing when i say it on stage i feel no judgment because i'm like to me i've created this judge-free zone if i'm comfortable enough joking about it and stuff then i don't feel that i don't feel the those eyes looking at me like can you believe he said this like yeah and i chose this moment to say it so oh i love <laughs> that but how long did it take you to get there because yes. If I've been doing it 15 plus, I didn't start talking about growing up in foster care until like 2011, 2012. I started doing comedy in 2006 or seven. So that was a long time of me just talking like jokey jokes. I never even hinted at it. It was another comic who's a mentor to me. He's the one that was like, yo, this is how comedy is supposed to work. You know what I mean? He was just like, hey, longevity is the ability to take your life and, and break it up and make it interesting and put bring it on stage and find relatability. And if people can't relate, then teach them something about yourself because if you're teaching them something about you, then you're expanding their world. And once he kind of like really like shined the light on that portion of comedy, that's when I started leaning into like talking about foster care and stuff more. But Sorry. I think I, judgment yeah. is so important to talk about, mm -hmm. especially in this age yeah. of validation. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I'm scared to get on stage. I love comedy. Me and my husband for date night, mm -hmm. we went to Second City. You yeah. know, but I, you're not afraid to be judged. And here's why I know you're not afraid to be judged. You have a podcast that you show your face. Most people try to hide from the public. So you're not afraid to get judged. You have the courage to put something out there because you think the, the work, not I'm saying you think, but people who do that, I've noticed, I'm like, okay, so you know that this is bigger than you. And you're like, I have to put it out there regardless of the fear. So you're not that afraid of being judged because you still up want on the people stage. to listen to this. That's something totally different. Yeah, because that's just standing in front of alcoholics. Like you got uncles and stuff. You don't got uncles who just fucking, oh, can I curse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's no, explicit. Uh, okay, you don't got uncles that just sat around making fun of you and stuff like that. It's the same thing. Just in the front of a bunch of alcoholics. Yeah, I am curious, though. Like, you did say that in the beginning, you were just telling jokey jokes, and, and then mm -hmm. you started getting personal. Mm -hmm. When did you start developing confidence and realizing, okay, I need to do more of this? 
I'm happy that he gave me that that info when he did because at that point in comedy, I was already I already I like to say fearless. I don't know. That sounds like one of Beyonce words, like fearlessness. But I was already at that point where I'm like, what it is, what it is. If it don't work out, it don't work out. Like I've already dealt when you're new. And I started at the Laugh House, which is an urban club, which is like the black comedy club and stuff like that. So I started in the scene that like is make me laugh make me laugh we don't got time to be sitting here waiting for you to figure it out so i started in that and that's just like a boot camp you know what i mean so once i starting in that made me kind of fearless fearless when it came to like being more personal and stuff because i'm like i know what it feels like to be bad i already know what it feels like to go up there and have people not like me and stuff like that i'm not afraid of that so once i'm like i'm not afraid of that I was able to start over again and be like, all right, well, if this person who is way more experienced in the craft than I am is telling me that this is what I need to do in order to make it, then all right, I can try that. And it's not nothing outrageous. It wasn't like he was just like, hey, man, you're going there, you're massaging shoulders. He was like, do this on stage, try this on stage, open up about this. And here's the reasons why. It was it was just so much easier to be fearless because I'm like, well, the goal that I want to achieve is way bigger than the amount of uncomfort that I have to deal with. What's the goal? The goal is to go on stage and have people remember you. There's so many comics who do this, but how many people can have people after the show be like, yo, you were funny because of X, Y, Z, this stuck out to me, this resonated with me. Like when people want to spend more time with you after the shows and like talk about the things you've just like said on stage in depth and they feel connected to you, that's way, that's, that's a stronger feeling and a way better reward than being afraid to say those things. What do people come up and say that they loved and remembered? I feel like it's always the baby stuff where where we're talking about like marriage and starting a family. And they're like, yo, I understand that. I went through the same thing. I, I feel this way. I feel this way. I grew up in this situation. I may have not grown up in foster care, but my parents were divorced and stuff like that. So people still get that energy. And then even with the foster care stuff and the mom on drugs and the dad in and out of jail and the home stuff, people may not be able to relate directly to what I'm saying, but they're like, yo, I had a cousin that went through that shit. And that seeing you talk about it made me realize what they were going through and this, that, and the third. And it's better than being like, why did the chicken cross the road and stuff like that? When people come up to me, they're always talking more about what I just did on stage. I mean, one part that stuck out for me is when you said, yeah, I've had this crazy childhood and <laughs> mm-hmm. to be loved is hard after that. Yeah. I, that really stayed with me. I was like, wow, mm-hmm. you you bring your childhood mm-hmm. into a relationship. And even I'm thinking yeah. about that for my kids. Like, mm-hmm. you know, make sure you talk about their childhood before you pick your spouse, because yeah. that's going to come into play when you raise kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's unavoidable because that's all you know. But have you consciously thought about the kind of father that you want to be? I'm going to be a dope father to be an amazing father because I know the life that I wanted. Not that I wanted as a kid, but I'm like, I know the type of life that I could have had as a kid. And now I have the ability to provide that for a kid that I created. So I'm like, I want my kids going to be spoiled. It'll probably lean the other way. Like my 
kid is probably going to be spoiled. I'm probably doing my best to make sure they don't become an asshole. But yeah, like I'm going to spoil my kid, spend time with my kid. Yeah. And I'm wondering if, you know, when you have these milestones that your dad wasn't around for, Mm -hmm. if that's going to hit, if that's going to affect you. What, affect me? Yeah. He wasn't around? Hell no. Shit. Now I just focus on my kid. Like, I feel like once I have my kid, I think all the angst and stuff that I had, not, I don't know if angst is the right word, but all that negative energy that I have towards my biological parents or what, what they did or didn't do will go away because it's no longer an excuse. It's an example of what not to do. So if I'm holding on to that, then it doesn't allow me to be the best parent I can possibly be if I'm holding on to it in a negative way. And I'm like, baby, no one did this for me and this, that, and the third. And now I'm just lashing out where I'm like, I let it go. They don't have a relationship. Right. Well, I don't have a relationship with my dad. I still talk to my mom, but I'm like, my mom will be a part of the kid's life. That's all I can ask for. It's like, okay, you didn't, you weren't a, a part of my life that much when I was younger, but now here's the opportunity to make up for whatever mistakes that you made in the past. Like she's a great grandma to my nieces and nephews. And I don't really see my, my sister really being that angry. So I feel like once you have kids, you kind of, you have two decisions. Decisions. Either fucking take all day and all your energy, rub it in in their face, or take that energy and just be a great parent and just be like, look, me and your grandma ain't that close because of something that I'll tell you eventually when you get old enough to understand it. And then, because if you tell them that as a kid, they don't understand it. They'll be like, this person, Nana, wasn't that so? Like, she, she wasn't around the person that brings us Christmas gifts and candy and slips money in our pocket. She was an asshole. Like, I wouldn't do that to my kids until they were old enough to be like, here, here's how I grew up versus how you grew up. You know, then we can have conversations. But yeah, that's like me being a parent. I can't let that affect me. I can't be sitting around and just be like, you didn't do this. And now I'm just stuck with a child. I'm like, look, you, you taught me everything you know. And you know what I mean? How have you worked through it? I mean, do you feel like comedy has helped kind of process some of that? Well, comedy ain't like I like I want to be like comedy is therapy, but comedy just allows me to explore another side of it. I think I'm able to work out, work through it just by like acknowledging it and also like have a conversations with my mom. Like I don't talk to my dad, but me and my mom, we can, we chit chat, we talk. We busted up, but I don't talk to my dad at all. So I have to deal with that on my own. I have to just deal with that by just working on me. But I don't have no like three-step program. If that's what you're getting at, it's like, first I'll do this and then I'll do this and then I'll do this. I don't know. I'll just try to move on and just be like, all right, whatever. It happened. And then just keep moving. I know in part of your comedy bit, you talked about, you know, once you started making it in comedy, then he wanted Mm -hmm. to meet at the restaurant or whatever. Is that? Oh, yeah. Is that the last time you talked to him? I'm trying to think the last time I talked to him was like online, just like a a quick back and forth. But it never really went anywhere because I I realized that the idea that he has of me in his mind is different from the reality and then vice versa. Like to him, he's probably expecting this this guy, this kid that's going to need some guidance and that's going to, because he'll be like, hey, man, what you need? And my answer is nothing because I'm like, I don't need nothing. Like, I'm, I don't want to be like, I'm doing better than you, but I'm like, I am. Like, I'm excelling at the thing that I'm excelling at this thing. I'm happy. I have friends. I have a great, I've made a great life for myself. So when you tell somebody who's like trying to crawl back that you don't need nothing from them, it's like clipping their Achilles heel. Cause sometimes that's, 
their way in. Sometimes that's their way in your life, you know? Like, oh, well, I'm sorry I couldn't be there for you this way, but now you can depend on them from somewhere else. And I always try to cut my dependency off from people. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like once I kind of hit him with the, oh, I'm good, I don't really need nothing. What you need? And then I felt like he, he may have read that differently, he may have read that as like a, like a beat it versus a, hey, you're going to just have to find another approach. Maybe just start with small conversations versus trying to offer me whatever you think that I'm going to grab at. Just be like, hey, what's up? How's your day? How's things going? Okay, that's cool. All right, I'll talk to you later. It was never like that. It just came in hot. Motherfucker just came in hot. What you need? You need some money. You need to do this. I'm like, I don't need none of that. That's interesting. And then I just watched them kind of just fizzle out. That's actually a really good piece of advice. Like if you're having trouble communicating with somebody, yeah, just yeah. make it surface for a little bit, warm it up. That's it. Like, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, in my, <laughs> I think that he was just probably thinking like, oh, he needs something. This boy needs something. I need to get on his good side versus just like a two minute conversation. A two minute conversation a week. Just getting to know me, just seeing where I'm at, just being like, how's this? How's life? How's the road? Or how's this city? Or you read this article? Like, people don't think like that. People don't think how far small talk can go. Plus, it's really about them. He oh, wasn't yeah. really trying to ask, how are you doing? Yeah. I mean, I have struggles in my own family like that. Yeah. Where I, I'm with you. Like, if they would just mm. say, how are you doing? Or, or what's up in your life? Or yeah. what are you currently going through? That would be mm. better than like yeah. asking me other questions. Yeah, like just trying to find a, an angle and a way in. So once I kind of picked up on that, and I was just like, all right, there's nothing I can really do. Like, I'm not going to force it. Whatever happens, happens. That's when like things, you know, I haven't heard from them, which is fine. Cause I'm like, I got a marriage to focus on. <laughs> Everything at the right time. Okay, I wrote a couple yeah. questions down. Yeah, my husband wanted to know, <laughs> The one that asked you who was on your shirt. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Team Matcha and Biggie Smalls was on my shirt. He was like, who's that? I know. And I didn't know he was playing. I didn't know because I get that. Like, I wore a Sister Sister shirt, yesterday, I mean, the night before, and it had on... It had Tim Reed on it. And so many people were like, who's who's that? Who's that guy? Is that your dad? And I'm like, it's that sister, sister at the bottom. You think Tim Reed is my father? I wish my father was Tim Reed. Or Biggie. <laughs> yeah, or Biggie. Probably not Biggie because he went out early. Tim, Tim Reed's still around. And we got to see Tim Reed be a great dad on Sister, Sister. And then he was kind of a shitty dad on that 70s show, but... <laughs> That's funny. So yeah, my husband wanted to know, and not that you're the poster child for foster care, but are people out for money? I mean, I know they get paid to do it. Do you think that's why some people get into to being foster parents? I wouldn't say, I wouldn't make the blanket statement of saying like everyone who does it is out for money. But in my experience, most of the people who I've lived with and stuff were doing it because it was another source of income and they thought it'd be an easier job because they're like, look, I got a house already. I got a place to live and I got food. And plus they give me money to feed this kid. What could be so hard? So then they do it for the money. And then when they're like, oh shit, this kid comes with trauma and a lot of other things that I don't have the answers to because I haven't worked on my own shit. Then that's when like kids move around a lot 
that and they get in uh basically i make the joke of like you take one kid out of a situation and put them back in the same situation that's literally because of that because people don't know how to deal with these issues because they've never had to they don't know what it's like to be snatched up and i say snatched up out of your bed but most of the time when you're in foster care and you're bouncing around it's a lot of like a lot of like yo you got to move in the middle of the night you got to move um like after school yeah a lot of the home i would be in school and then I'll be walking out of school and then I'll get I'll get called to the office and they'll be like, hey, your social workers, he wants you to meet him in a parking lot. And then I get to the parking lot, he got a bag full of my clothes. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm moving. He's like, yeah, you got to move. So like, how many people are foster parents know that feeling? Know what it's like to just start your day off one way and then it ends up completely different where you end up sleeping in a stranger's house, having dinner with a stranger that night after you just woke up in someone's house that you're like, oh, we're building a good relationship and stuff. So I don't think people are equipped with that because they haven't had to deal with that. And then they're dealing with a kid who doesn't know how to process that information and that and that energy and that emotion. So then they meet that, they deal with that the only way they know how to. And then you just end up bouncing around and having arguments with people and stuff like that. But all that to say, your initial question was, are there people out there doing it for the money? And I go, yes, because it's just a career path, right? It's like being a, an influencer at this point. You can be a you can be a, a foster parent or a content creator. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, I can tell you that if my oldest kid gets a pop quiz sprung on him mm -hmm. and he doesn't feel like that teacher has prepared him with the information, his entire mm -hmm. day is thrown mm -hmm. where he is going to take that up with the principal. Yeah. Like, imagine that kid yeah. getting put mm -hmm. in another home. Yeah. It would not go over well. Mm. A lot of kids don't do well with surprises. Like they yeah. want to know what is expected of them. Mm -hmm. I just cannot imagine the trauma of that. Nah. How do you even go to school when that's happening at home? But you don't really have a choice. You know what I mean? Because then what's the other choice? Wander the street? I don't got time to wander the street. You go to school, the, lead, the, the school is the stability at that point. If moving, if you're bouncing around and moving around and going home to home, but you still go to the same school, then you have some sort of stability. You have the same friends. You know that you got breakfast and lunch. You know the teachers and all that stuff. So you know you're going to be somewhere. You're going to you're going to be in the same place for eight hours. Did you like school? Yeah, I actually like school. Did I do well in school? No, but did I like it? Yeah. I didn't do well because I didn't I didn't really take it that serious only because like everybody was like, oh, man, you got to do well in school. You got to do good in school. But the people who were saying it didn't reflect the rewards of what school could really take you. You know what I mean? It's always like people who like they don't have a job and they're struggling. They're like, you got to pay attention to school. And as a kid, you're like, but your life ain't really that dope. But I didn't know. They're like, hey, that's why I'm telling you to fucking pay attention to school. Look at my life. <laughs> Man, how did you end up in foster care for the first time? Oh, well, my mom. Um, It wasn't like a first time, like in and out. It was like once I was in, I was in. I went in probably around like six or seven. Just because oh my, my mom and dad were, they were going through their shit. Yeah, my grandmother, she told me that she actually was the one that was like, oh, I think foster care would be a good choice because she knew foster parents at her church, but she didn't know like inside information and, and inside baseball. So she was just be like, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I know this lady and this lady seems like she's doing well. So why wouldn't that be the 
overall experience. Wow. So she got us put in foster care and then she didn't she didn't even know like half the things. She didn't even know the amount of homes I lived in or at the the being pulled out the house in the middle of the night to go live in an uh, go live in another house. Like she didn't know any of that cuz when you're in foster care, your interaction with your biological family is like a monthly basis. Like I'm seeing my grandmother once a month for a weekend. Ain't that much I can tell her. She's like, how's life? I'm like, fine. Can we go to the movies? Can we get some ice cream? Can we do this? Like, I'm ready just to go do kid shit. Wow. But when I got older and then she was like, really? You went through that? Holy snap. I didn't know that. Man. You couldn't live with her? No, nah, I had a young Nana. I had a young Nana who didn't want to take care of nobody's kids. <laughs> right. I mean, a you lot of parents mean? feel that way too. Mm-hmm. You know, I raised mine now. <laughs> yeah. Now she was like, hey, look, I've raised mine. I don't want to do this again. I heard this program was, in her mind, she was looking at it as like a temporary thing until like her daughter gets her life together or whatever. She didn't look at it as like it's a permanent solution. She mainly looked at it as daycare that you can place kids until the biological family, the biological parent gets their life together. She was more so thinking of her daughter and not really her grandkids. So I think the foster care call was more so of like, hey, get your shit together. And until you get your shit together, just leave these kids under someone's care who will take care of them and like make sure they're all right and who's young enough. But she don't know that the average foster parent is like a senior citizen. Really? Yeah, I was living with some old people. (laughs) Whoa. What was that like? Living with old people? You never lived with old people? I mean, I went to my grandparents till I was like in fifth grade. They snore in harmony. I mean, very slow household, very quiet. You got to be quiet or you get yelled at a lot because they don't like racket and everything is racket. Everything is racket. You start to learn. You're like, what is racket? They'll be like, cut out all that racket. You're like, what the hell is racket? And it's just noise. So you got to learn how to play, how to play quiet. You're like, all right. Or you stay outside all day. So that's what that was. It was literally me learning how to stay out of the way. Interesting. You just, uh, yeah. And how does that play into your life? How did that play into your life? In comedy, there's a lot of alone time and it made me comfortable with being alone. Like I'm too comfortable being alone. Like I can be alone in like three weeks past and I'll have like friends and stuff like, yo, you good? Where you been at? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm good. I've just seen you like a week ago. And they're like a week ago, dude, it's been a month. And I'm like, oh, I can lose lapses of time because I'm, I'm so used to just being by myself so when I'm around people, I can just linger on to that feeling for like a month. I'm like, oh, I've just seen such and such. And I just, we were just hanging out. Like I had that happen to me last night. I was talking to a comic. He's like, where the hell you been, man? How you been? I'm like, what do you mean how I've been? I just seen you two weeks ago at, at this show. He's like, you know, that show was like a month and a half ago, right? And I'm like, word. I can get so caught up in what I'm doing and just in, and just being by myself that I'm just like, I can just cut out the world. Do you need some and of that, that in marriage? Like more alone time? No, see, here's the thing. Like even with the marriage thing, right now, my wife's at work. By the time she gets home, I got to head out. You know what I mean? So by the time she gets home, we'll like chill, we'll eat dinner together. I'll say, like, we'll chill for like two hours and then I'm out. And then I'm home and it's like two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. And then she gets up and I'm asleep. So we really, truly only really spend time, time with each other or like Sundays and stuff like that. Oh, wow. And yeah. I mean, I know that you do traveling for shows. Mm-hmm. You're getting ready to go to London, right? Yeah, she's coming to London with me. So she'll be out there with me. So we'll be chilling for 10 days and stuff like that. But she don't always come to the road, come on the road with me. 
It depends. If it's like a, a city that I've never been to and it's like a fun city, then I'll try to get her to come and be like, yo, let's go. Like some cities are boring. Some cities, they don't have shit. They just got like a plaza, a Dunkin' Donuts. How was Houston? Oh, Houston was great. Okay, I only have a couple more questions. Do you have like a special place in your heart for foster kids? And like, how can people get involved or like make that better? Absolutely. It's where I come from. You know what I mean? So I think the special place is like, I know no one understands them. I know no one understands what's going in their head and the emotions that they're dealing with. Because if they did, then they wouldn't like most of the remedies are like medicines and stuff like that. You know what I mean? And they don't know that they just need a lot more compassion. You know, I always got that special place where I'm like, yeah, I, I know what it feels like to be misunderstood and just have no and just like have nobody really understand what's going on with you and why you're making the decisions you're making or even just be like, look, I don't know what the hell is going on with you, but I'm here that like that's that's a big thing. Yeah, that's a bit. That's an important like your your kid has that. That's why your kid is able to like go to the teacher and say something to the teacher about like, hey, I wasn't prepared for the spot quiz because they got a mom who got their back. And a lot of people don't have that. A lot of people don't like you. You have all these social workers and child advocates, but like, uh, like it's nothing like having a mom or the person who provided you to have your back and just because that's where that fearlessness and that fear and that feeling of feeling invincible as a kid comes from. Because you're like, look, I'm gonna stand up for myself because my mom got me. Thank you for so, saying that. I really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I love that you see that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's awesome. So I understand that a lot of foster kids don't have that. They yearn for that. Just somebody just to have they got damn back no matter what. Like unconditional. Basically, it's unconditional love. Damn, that's and powerful. I feel like, yeah, and I think a bunch of foster kids grow up learning that love is very conditional. <laughs> <laughs> it's very conditional. You know, that love comes, that love has to be earned. Because like a foster parent, I don't know, like a foster parent, I've never had anybody who just, like a foster parent that just loved me like they created me. Like I could do no wrong. Because mm. if I did, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have bounced around so many homes. But that's what a mom is for. That's what your dad is for. That's what your parents are for. They're there to be like, look, all that shit that's going on or whatever, at the end of the day, love is still here. I still love you. So, yeah, I understand foster kids don't have unconditional, don't know what unconditional love feels like. And I'll always have that place in my heart where I'm like, yeah, wow. I understand you. I love that. And I really mm -hmm. like hope that you give that to your future kids mm -hmm. and to your wife. Oh, yeah. That's why I'm like, I hope that motherfucker don't turn out to be an asshole because I'm still love it. Like, I'm going to still love him. Even if I'm, you know what I mean? Yes, like, I, I do. Like I unconditional love for my dog. My dog and cat then threw up and pooped <laughs> on everything and ate stuff. And I'm still like, look at you, you know? So Let I'm me like, tell you, that is like parenting this? right there. Because they will barf on you. They will barf mm -hmm. on the couch. They'll pee on the floor. And you're like, yep. you're so cute. Yeah. Oh my God. Can you do like a humble brag? Can you like tell me some of your like accolades? Yeah, man. The the most recent one. Well, the most recent one is London. London is great because I've always wanted to to go there and just even our cat. 
and like my cat name was London because she's gray, and I heard that London is always gloomy and gray and stuff. So I was like, oh, we just name our cat London because she's gray. But that was more of like me being like, yo, I want to go. I'll, yeah. Oh my god! Say, you know when people name their kids like Mercedes and shit, but they don't they drive like a Prius. That was my version of that. Like I've never been to London, but I'm naming my cat London because I'm putting it out there in the universe. I but love me, that. You a, manifested yeah. London mm-hmm. with a cat. Mm-hmm. That, Africa. I went to Kenya last year. That was fun. Got to perform there. I was there for 10 days. I did two theater shows and like a little small open mic that was packed out. And that was fun. We went to safari, like a real safari. And I know goddamn, no Six Flags safaris where you stay in a car. I'm talking about we were out in the, like the Mara of Africa. And it's just nothing but this big endless stretch of land with lions and fucking elephants walking around. And we got out and we got close. Not too close though. I'm not one of those people. Where I'm like, I need to touch it. I'm like, I see it. It's there. It sees me. I'm good. But I got to do that. That was fun. We went camping out there. So we used to have to sleep out on a conservation. And they had us in there like these these nice glamping tents. But there was like monkeys running across the top. Like you can, like they were like lock us in the tent. Because they're like, look, if we don't put, they put a padlock on. Because they're like, if we don't, these monkeys will unzip it and come in. And fuck your stuff up. They will like they will really do damage. So this is why we're locking you in here. Did you have to have a oh, gun? Okay. I'm guessing. No, there was security guards out there with swords, no guns. They all had swords. Machetes. They had the swords. Yeah, but you see these machetes, you'd be like, I just we just drove past the pride of lions. That machete is not doing anything. It's not gonna do anything. So those lions but floss their teeth. And then, because I asked, I was like, hey, so if we get attacked, how would you protect us? And it was like, we have this. And I'm like, no, but for real, like if we get attacked, and then with those two guys, and then one guy was like, well, if something goes down, then we're radio in for, so we're back up with somebody with a gun. And I went, you got to call somebody that has a gun? We we literally like drove like 45 minutes away from where we were staying. That'll be 45 minutes wait for help. We just got to like sit around and like try to dodge lion bites and stuff. But I was, Did you I hear any growls? Hear growls. We watched <laughs> a lion feed her. Like we were so up close. We watched a lion like eat a gazelle. Like, I don't think I would like that. I'd be ready to go. You'd be ready to go? No, some people like they wanted to because they want action. There was like other yeah, there were other people on the tour with us, like like a married couple, and they had their cameras ready. And the guy was like, I just want to see some kills. So some people really just they come and they just want to see the whole circle of life. They want to see birth. And they want to see some death. Yeah, I don't want to You've invite those that. people to yeah. the baby shower. Mm-mm, mm-mm. They enjoy torturing animals. Yep. <laughs> That's a sign. <laughs> We've seen a, a leopard take her gazelle up in the tree and like drop pieces of the innards <sighs> down for her cubs. That's intense. And he's like, we got these swords. These swords. You see what this thing just did to that 200 pound animal? It just took it in the tree like it was 25 pounds. Like it was wow. Nothing. That's an experience. That was fun. <laughs> Man, that was fun. Most of my high, like I have a lot of highlights, but those are the two recent ones where I'm like, oh, I did that. It was more of like a, I made that happen because I put that plan in motion from the inception, from the thought of wanting to go to capitalizing on the opportunity to making it happen. So those are big moments for me. When are you getting the once, next cat? 
I'm not getting no other cat. We got a cat and a dog. That's it. That's it. That's it. Did the dog bring any opportunities? <laughs> I love my dog. I didn't miss Penny, but she didn't, she didn't come with nothing but hyperactivity. That's it. That's all she does. She She's hyperactive and she loves old people. So she makes it hard to walk down the street because she will jump up on the old person. She can be chilling and walking right next to me. Like, you know, when they stay healed and they walk like directly next to you. All that goes out the window when she sees like a 80 year old trying to make it down the street. Like she loves them. She loves old people. Like she runs right up to them. It like starts trying to get belly rubs and licking them and stuff like that. Like all her training goes out the window when she sees old people. That's sweet. She loves old people. I think that she's giving us a sign. Like maybe she just wants to work in a hospice. Maybe she wants a job. Maybe she just like, go drop me off at a senior citizen home once a week. Let me get some pets and some belly rubs and some snacks. That's cute. Old people do love dogs though. They love dogs. Yeah. They're very yeah. comforting. That's sweet. Mm -hmm. Okay. I have one more question. This is just a so, selfish question, but like- no problem. Do you think that anyone can learn how to get on stage and do comedy? Yeah, but being good at it is a completely different thing. Like, they have classes that teach you. Most public speaking classes, I feel like, also teach you the art of stand-up and how to, like, break the tension with humor and stuff. But your talent level is just based on, like, your natural abilities, right? Like, how? Like, I can say, I think you can teach somebody how to stand on stage, hold a mic, and be like, this is the premise, this is the setup, this is the punchline, this is the story structure, this is how to deal with X, Y, and Z. You can teach a person all of that, but if they don't have, like, the drive and the other ingredients like talent and stuff, then I don't know how far they can go. But, yes, you can teach somebody to do stand-up. There's plenty of comics who've taken stand-up classes who are good at it, but I think because they were naturally funny and they just needed to get comfortable with being on stage before they pursued it as a career, I think that's the only reason why they took that class, is to get comfortable. But the funny and all that other stuff comes from you. Did you take classes? No. I audited classes, meaning like I have friends that took classes and stuff, and they would pretty much tell me what was happening. But I am very stubborn, and my learning style has always been the same. Fail, 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 fail. Oh, shit, I got it right. And then fail, 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 fail. So when I started doing comedy, it was open mic after open mic after open mic. And then, you know, if you're doing something right, somebody will start pushing you. People will start pushing you in the right direction, right? They'll be like, hey, I really like that joke you did. Oh, I noticed this. Oh, that bit where you did this. Oh, that's dope. I see you doing that. Or they'll start being like, hey, man. Have you checked out this place? So on Tuesdays, they do a show like at seven o'clock and blah, blah, blah. Like that's a good sign that you're man, moving in the right direction where other people are like being like, yo, this is this is where else you can go for stage time. This is where else you can be getting up to work on your craft. So I just paid attention to that. Everybody pushed me. So if people, that's how I even got to New York. A lot of comics who will like come through Philly and headline clubs and I'll like feature for them or open up for them. They'll be like, yo man, you go to New York yet? And I'm like, nah, they're like, you need to get your ass to New York. And then you hear that enough and they're just like, all right, well, there's nothing keeping me here. So let me try this New York thing. Okay, tell me about New York. That's big. That's crazy. Oh, I love New York. I love living. I've been in New York for about like 12 years now. Once I got here, it was everything anybody ever promised, like mainly for comedy. Like I, I haven't experienced New York outside of comedy, meaning like I don't do anything else here except entertainment. The quality of life and, and just how you live is different. 
But I was telling one comic, I'm like, it's an industry here. So I know in Houston, you can get up maybe like five times a week. In New York, you can get up five times a night if you wanted to. You can bounce around, go from Brooklyn to Queens, Queens to Manhattan. You can like you can go Upper West Side, Lower East Side. You can bounce around and do different mics. So it's an actual career here, and it's a career path. You know what I mean? There's just steps to follow here. And I feel like as long as I live here, I always got a shot to just just to continue chipping away at the bigger picture. Have you done you know five I mean? times in one night? Yeah, but I used to do a lot more. Now and I'm I'm old. I like on the weekend, I'll probably do like five or six in one night. But that week, but then it like takes a toll on me on the weekday because then I'm like too tired to like be running around and be like, all right, how many? am I going to do today? All right, maybe I'll do three and cut it back just so I can build up that energy again for the weekend. But when I first started like actually ripping and running and getting on, yeah, I'd probably do more. I'll probably try to do like eight in a night and just because most like now, most comedy clubs got like two rooms now. So you can just bounce back and forth between one thing. But sometimes if that wasn't the case, I'd be like, all right, I'm going to be at the stand and shoot over to the cellar. Then after the cellar, I got to try and make it to Gotham. And then I got a bar show on like two blocks down. So I got to make sure that I get off stage at this time so I can get on the train and take an Uber to get there before that show is over. It's a hustle out here, man. Wow. Fun. Yeah. And how often do you switch up your show? I feel like my, my problem is I switch it up too often where I'm like, I'm always trying to find the perfect way to say the bit. I'll probably say it the same exact way, maybe like three times. And then I'm like, mm, maybe I move this over here and change this up. Or maybe I'll use this crowd interaction to get into it this way. So I'm always changing it up. Like you may hear the same subject matter, but the, the approach is always different. And I think that can work against me because when it comes time to record something and like if I'm making the special, you got to run that special as is. And then you got to present it to whatever network that you want to work with as is. And then when you shoot it, Y'all got to agree that this is what it's going to be. Like, this is the structure. This is the way it's going to flow. Because they're spending money and they don't want to, they don't want you to go up there and be like, oh, well, it started off like this, but now I feel like this. So they want to see that you can commit to doing something one way, which is the best way, and then making it look great and stuff like that. So my problem is I'm always moving shit around and going, okay, maybe I'll try this joke like this. I didn't really like that joke like that. So maybe I'll move this over here like that. Even when shit is good, even when it's getting a laugh, I'm still listening for something different where I'm like, I know they were laughing, they were they were holding their stomachs, they was with it, but it don't feel right. I gotta change it up. And I'll fucking joke up. I you know what I mean? Like that's how I am. I'm like, I'll do a joke and it can be right. And then I'm like, nope. And then I'll just start bombing and just just to get one piece right. It's an art. It really is. Do you record all your shows and listen back? I record most of them. The listening back thing, sometimes I need to be religious with it. I need to listen to it every day. I need to at least listen to my stand up at least four, five hours a day, just like different sets and stuff. Because I listen to music all day and I'm listening to someone else's thoughts. So I want to hear, I want to be like, all right, let me listen to my stuff so I can critique it and really like figure out what, how I can change it and what I can make better. I do think that's how you get better to not only mm -hmm. listen to comedians who you respect, but also listen mm -hmm. to your performance so you can fine tune. Mm -hmm. yep. Would you say that's true? Yeah. Have you gotten to mm -hmm. meet any 
comedians that you really look up to? Yeah, of course. But then you're just like, eh, it just becomes a job now. Like I've met Chappelle, Kevin Hart, Chris Rod, one of the sex, all those people. And the initial meet is like, oh my God, this is so amazing. And then by the third time, it's just more of a realization of like, Oh, yeah, of course I'll meet these people. I'm in the business. I'm doing well. Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I be on the trajectory to at least cross that person's path if this is something that I'm planning on doing for the rest of my life and getting better at it? The industry is small. Like in New York, there's only, there's a, is, even though there's a lot of comedy clubs, there's only like a couple that people really go to from big names to like the just people who are just trying to figure it out for themselves. And that's the stand, the cellar, and Gotham and stuff like that. So you're going to cross these people's path. Interesting. You know? mm -hmm. Well, I love what you said about, of course, I'm going to meet them. That is yeah. a level of confidence <laughs> right there. And keep that up. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. That's, as long that's as they amazing. don't die. Yeah, I'm like, look, as long as they don't die, then in my mind, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. Wow. I love that. This has been super positive. Is there anything that I didn't oh, ask you, you that you want to share? I mean, promote away. No, I'm trying to think. No, you pretty much covered everything. Tell everybody to listen to my podcast, Monroe Martin Podcast. It's on YouTube. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that stuff. He's even got his Patreon set up. I haven't done that yet. Good for you. Oh, yeah. I got the Patreon set up. Subscribe to the Patreon. I love that. Is there anything that you'd like to ask my dad? That was my question. Like, why aren't you here? <laughs> why aren't you here? And he's like, because I'm listening to my mommy. Like, That's enjoy. a good thing to do. That's a great thing to do. I love that. You've heard from my mom. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. I got quite a few uh, revelations from Monroe here. He's given you a very realistic analysis of and depth about what a foster parent goes through, what a foster child goes through, and loyalty and integrity come out in this pretty strong that you're even talking about this comedy club thing. You make it sound like if you go up on the stage, you have to have courage to perform. And Monroe says, no, it's really going up there and whether you can withstand criticism and attacks. Very interesting perspective, right? Here, you're thinking you're putting on a show and yet to go up there and throw yourself at an audience where you could be ridiculed and booed or thrown tomatoes right off the stage. So it's not necessarily of whether you choke or not. It's whether or not you can accept the downfall of what you're doing. And now we get back to the real important subject is that some people are foster parents because they think it's an easy job. But they don't really give a darn necessarily. It's really about doing something that's easy. Look at Grandma Rose. She has people come in at night and she didn't get along with half the people because they didn't really care. They were just sleeping on the job, really weren't there to service her, but they thought it was just an easy job to get paid for. If you want to be a parent, if you don't have the feelings and the wants to make a difference in a person's life and really care for that child through all the ups and downs, like what a real parent is supposed to do, that's not a job for you. And that's what comes out emphatically in this interview is that don't do me any favors if you are my parent, or if you are my father, where I have to rely on you when you've abandoned me. Don't do me any favors. I'm standing on my own two feet and I'm just doing fine. You want to be part of my life, be part of my life in a productive, quality way without tit for tat. 
How many people don't do anything for you unless they get something in return? I'm constantly bringing that up. So the truth of the matter is, is that you have to be able to have it in your heart, in your soul. You have to be a giver where it comes naturally. It's got to be where you care and are willing to sacrifice for that other person. And that's what makes and builds a relationship. And you can call yourself a parent. You can call yourself a son. You can call yourself a partner or a mate, but unless you really put yourself out there to the other person where you've got their back, otherwise the relationship really isn't real. And it doesn't matter if it's a sister or brother, as you would bring up, but the truth of the matter is there's a lot of selfish people out there that have their own motive. You've got to be where you really care about emphatically the other person and their needs, and that you really are there for them through thick and thin. Now you know why a lot of people have abandonment issues is because there's a lot of people that when you're in trouble or you're really having a problem, they don't really want to hear it. It's too much trouble. They don't want to be bothered. They don't want to get upset themselves. They want to put themselves where I'll listen, but don't get me involved kind of thing. Then you're on your own. You even said to me, if you can find somebody who truly has your back, you better be grateful for that person. That's right, because there are very few and far between relationships that you're going to have where a person truly is out for your better interest and not their own. I liked hearing about his thoughts on the comedy routine and how he feels about being on stage. I mean, the guy's oh. been on every major network. He has really paid his dues. Well, what really comes up as well is that he's willing to put himself out there and critique away. Attack away. Yeah, he said, uh, is this going to be fun or is this not going to be fun? That's right. And I'll tell you something else is that he demonstrates that inner self strength where he can be by himself for weeks at a time, keeping himself busy, keeping himself constructive, learning, developing, and realizing that no matter how tough the world can be out there, that I'm going to be able to stand up and be counted. He also does his show where he gets his message out, and it's not always just saying the same thing, but you have to have a different approach. You have to be able to relay a message sometimes in more than one way to get through to people because not everybody understands something, and people get bored even hearing it one way. So you have to be creative even the way you want to express your message as well. I thought that, like I said, these are two or three or four bits from this show with Monroe that hopefully I also gained two or three or four cents of wisdom as well. All right. I think you like this one. I did. I like Monroe. And, you know, he said something. What's a question to ask your dad? Why aren't you here? Why aren't you on TV with your daughter? Why aren't you participating? And isn't that also a terrific message for the Better Call Daddy show is that if you really want to be counted, with your children, show up, be there at the game, be on the show with them, because then it really means something extra special that when they have a doubt in their mind, they can look up in the stands and say, there's my dad, there's my mom. And look how important he made a mom in this category, that a mom is maybe the most important parent of them all, is that that nurturing, that caring, it's, it's hard for anyone to measure up to that kind of position that a mom has. Touche Monroe. And if you want some more good advice, tune in to the Better Call Daddy show. Always got to get that promo in. However you need to say it, we'll switch it up. That's right. Signing off. All right.
Thanks for listening. Now I think I'm going to go call my dad. (laughs) I'll say goodbye and see you the next time. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy show. Join us weekly for new episodes and more daddy wisdom. Better Call Daddy is good advice always. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. You can also find special episodes on my YouTube channel. And you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, Alexa, or your preferred podcatcher. That's a wrap for now.